0: The following broadcast contains strong language, depraved details, and
1: references to all manner of sordid behaviours. You are advised to proceed with caution, dear listener. And remember, once this transmission gains access to your brain, via the auditory nerve, there will be no way to retrieve it. It will become a part of you forever Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Nick.
0: And my name's Joanna.
1: And we're wishing you a very warm welcome back for another episode of The Ghastly Podcast, the show we have been hexed into writing for the rest of our days in order to satisfy the ancient evil spirits hell bent on humanity's destruction. And you know what? You're so welcome. This week marks the conclusion of our epic seven-part meta-horror series. It's been a real journey, I'm sure you can agree. We've been we've been places, let's just say that. But it all gets wrapped up today with a wonderful offering from Mr. Cronenberg himself, a 1984 picture called Videodrome. You may have heard of it. Cronenberg is an interesting one. He's very widely regarded as being a real provocateur. Uh, within the horror genre, and he's always been very keen to dismantle norms of cinema and really push an idea of a cinema that shocks and, well, to quote his exact words, to show the unshareable, to speak the unspeakable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even though we are about to give a summary of the film's plot, I think there are a lot of ways in which kind of the meanings behind this film are not based around really a kind of traditional plot structure.
1: And aside from structural concerns and the desire to reconfigure the way that a film is meant to run its course, I think also what Cronenberg was trying to do was blend the boundaries between human and machine and the organic and the inorganic, and in doing so make a real statement about where we're headed as humans. You know, questions of identity and how we relate to our environment, how our environment um, relates to what's inside of us as well.
0: Can I get you on can I get you on with doing the plot, please?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you may. Do you want to take your specs off?
0: Yes. Hang on. Can I just take a little <laughs> swig of water first?
2: Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He first has time- been exposed to video drone. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since what? Since I first saw Video Drone. His brain is already receiving video images. Western! I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality.
0: I
1: I
2: Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren.
0: Come to me now. The film follows the story of Max Wren, president of the Toronto television station Civic TV, which promises to give its viewers shows they can't get anywhere else, namely softcore pornography. The station's satellite dish operator, Harlan, tells Max one morning that the dish has picked up transmissions from Malaysia in the shape of the TV show Videodrome, which seems to show people being violently tortured and murdered. Max feels that this will obviously fit in well with his station's content and tells Holland to start broadcasting it.
1: Max goes to a televised interview with the psychologist, Dr. Brian Oblivion, incredible name by the way, who appears only via TV screen and the radio host Nikki Brand about the impacts of television on our psyches. Nikki and Max find themselves in agreement and make a date, at which point Max discovers that Nikki is into sadomasochism, particularly when she enjoys watching an episode of Videodrome together with Max. After Harlan reveals to Max that Videodrome is broadcast from Pittsburgh rather than Malaysia, Nikki declares that she's going to go and audition to be on the show. She never comes back. One of Max's business partners, the pornographer Masha, informs him that Videodrome consists of genuine snuff broadcasts and that it's a front line for an entire political movement. He decides to visit Brian Oblivion to learn more.
0: One of Oblivion's projects is a homeless shelter where the homeless sit and watch television for hours on end in an attempt to rehabilitate them into society, at least according to Oblivion's daughter Bianca, who Max meets. He watches a tape recorded by Oblivion where Oblivion tells Max that Videodrome is the site of a political battle for the hearts and minds of the people of America. Nikki then comes up behind Oblivion and seemingly strangles him on tape. Max begins to hallucinate Nikki everywhere, and particularly so on his TV screen and throughout all of his media formats. When Max returned to the homeless shelter, Bianca informs him her father actually died of a brain tumour induced by Videodrome's broadcast signal. Oblivion had helped create Videodrome, but his partners intended to use it as a brainwashing tool. All the taped videos that Max has seen of him so far were actually taped in the year before his death.
1: Max is then contacted by Barry Convex, another amazing name, producer of Videodrome and CEO of the company Spectacular Orbitals, who takes Max to the studios where Videodrome is produced and uses a device to seemingly record Max's mental fantasies of whipping Nikki onto video. At the same time, Masha is now the subject of Videodrome's torture broadcast and Max wakes up to find her corpse next to him in bed. After he calls Harlan over, the body seems to have mysteriously disappeared.
0: Harlan reveals to Max that he has been working with Convex and has attempted to recruit Max to the cause, to use Videodrome as a tool to kill, via brain tumours, those who are so addicted to media sex and violence that they would actually watch the show. A slit appears in Max's torso and Harlan inserts a brainwashing videotape which causes Max to murder his Civic TV partners. He then attempts to kill Bianca, but she manages to stop him after showing him a video of Nikki's murder, and instead recruits him to her father's cause, Death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Max returns to then kill Harlan and Convex.
1: Max, who is now on the run and living in a boat, watches TV where he hallucinates a broadcast of Nikki telling him that death is not the end and that she has ascended into a higher plane to the quote-unquote new flesh. Max must now do the same to fully defeat Videodrome. On TV, Max watches himself shoot himself in the head. He does the same thing in real life.
0: So. Pretty intense. I have to ask you, Nick. Did you enjoy Videodrome? Did you think it was an enjoyable watching experience?
1: I actually loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, compared to uh, No Shade on Wes, but um, New Nightmare, I'm I found a bit of a slog to get through. Videodrome just ticked a lot of boxes for me. I think I really enjoyed the aesthetic of it. The production design was wonderful. I love the design of Max's apartment as well with those really vintage glass dividers, you know, made up of the cubes of, of transparent material. You might be calling them
0: vintage, whereas in 1983, I guess they might have just been normal furniture. Yeah,
1: cutting edge. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was probably designed to look quite advanced, wasn't it? A bit like Blade Runner, like uh, mm. his apartment in that. I'm also such a sucker for physical effects as well. Mm. And when I read that Rick Baker was the head of the makeup and effects team uh, on this film, who many of which had also been working on American Werewolf in London, it made so much sense because they were actually, they were grotesque, but they're also so beautiful at the same time. And I think they have so much more effect than virtual effects ever can have. Like for the the thing, for example, is just horrendous.
2: <laughs> well, if you just picture it me the way I am now, without gray hair and, uh, and eye bags. It was, I was pretty much the same as a kid as I am now. I was a strange kid, I'm a strange old man, you know. I'm an only child, I grew up in my bedroom, which was my makeup laboratory, and I liked monster movies, and I liked making stuff, and pushed my clay around, and, and you know, painted things, and, and thought, you know, that would, why don't I make monsters for a living? People, somebody has to do that, and uh, I was lucky enough to have it all work out.
0: Can I tell you something interesting, by the way? Um, I know you were just talking about special effects rather than kind of just cinematography in general. Mm. But Videodrome and Where's Craven's New Nightmare have the same cinematographer.
1: Oh, really? Mark Owen
0: did them both. Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. I realised
0: it when I was writing the crib sheet and I was like, oh, I don't have to change that name.
1: Just copy paste that that dude over. <laughs> I, I would know that if I had read the crib sheets. Um, damn it, I've just exposed myself. It's okay. That's so I interesting. Don't yeah.
0: Don't you they think don't they don't have seem... quite different
1: feels though? Exactly,
0: they don't feel that visually cinema. I think the big difference as well between Videodrome and say something like New Nightmare, and obviously we'll discuss this in more detail later, is that I think New Nightmare is kind of more generally about the way that we consume fiction and the way that we consume stories, whereas Videodrome is very much about seeing and vision. Mm. And I think there's much more of a focus, therefore kind of on kind of the like lurid hallucinogenic aspects Mm. of kind of just cinematography, if that makes sense because it's so much more integral Mm.
1: And to create that sort of brooding, uncanny, uh, dreamlike atmosphere where things just seem to occur for no concrete reason. Mm. For example, when the gash in Max's abdomen appears uh, that Videodrome will use to control his mind and, and that kind of thing. It has a pastiche-like feel to it. And I, I suppose in a way, weirdly, even though it feels aesthetically very different from New Nightmare, despite the same cinematographer, they're doing a similar thing in using dream language, but the approaches are very different.
0: And I think part of New Nightmare is more about kind of the interior psyche. And I suppose that kind of like almost ancient, or um, well, literally ancient because it's just a part of human biology, to dream and kind of the way in which we as humans kind of process our fears and our wants And the way in which, well, you know, even in that case, Freddy Krueger is kind of posited as some kind of almost ancient supernatural entity. Mm. Whereas Videodrome, I think, is very much kind of about like the shock of the new. Like actually we don't realise how completely insane it is that we live in this world, which has only really been the case, well, in the 1980s, but only really been the case for like the past 30 years at maximum of just constant content and constant screens. Are you aware of the concept of like the simulation? from like b- boudoir. Yes. Yes. Is this I think it's very much, sorry, not to be like super passionate and yeah. like, oh Nick, have you, have you ever no, heard no, of no, this no, like no. crazy concept no. called
1: it? You know. To be fair though, to be fair though, Joanna, the boudoir that I've done is like simulacra and um, hyper reality rather than, than the simulation. So give, give like a a little summary if you can, I think that'd be really helpful.
0: Okay, perfect. So what I'm referring to here when I talk about the simulation, I'm sure anyone who's studied Baudrillard would be like, uh, "That's not what it is." Thank you very much. So sorry, but I think this is what's relevant to be concerned with when yeah. analysing Videodrome, at least, and it is also relevant to simulacro, which is what Nick just talked about, which is a different thing, but it is also part of how the simulation constructs itself. Look, we're getting overly complicated. The point is. The oh, but idea we love that, it though, don't we? Yeah, we, we, we do on. love a bit of complication. <laughs> we we love like a bit to be. Of
1: cultural analysis.
0: Yeah, go on then. Why not? Go on. As a then. treat. But essentially, the idea is that we live, especially say since the 1940s or 50s or so, basically ever since the age of like mass media, um, we kind of live in a world where we are just constantly, our senses are constantly assaulted by. Te- media in a sense of not just a television, music and films, not just entertainment media, but also advertisements that kind of give us this impression of living within a reality that is just comprised of these very much artificial things like adverts, for example, that seems seemingly takes them almost as just like a completely natural part of our reality. And obviously this has become even more exacerbated In recent decades, with the onset of the internet and the amount of time that we spend just looking at our computers and our phones, so much so that we can barely distinguish the actual concrete reality of our actual lives, which is what we can actually touch in front of us from what we see and what we kind of take in on our screens and through the medium of advertising that just completely rewires, in a way, our thought patterns. And like reappropriates symbols from the everyday to become kind of symbols of consumption and consumerism. And television is definitely a huge part of this, as Videodrome obviously posits. Because obviously, just the whole idea of, say, for example, with Brian O'Bliven's homelessness shelter, where the homeless just watch TV constantly. And that's meant to be a way of kind of reintegrating them into society. It's the idea of like, well, you know whatever they see on a TV screen, that's the only reality they'll ever need. That is the reality, even though it's actually so distant from us. And obviously things like TV and advertising, they don't just come out of nowhere. They're not natural things. They're created by a huge group of people and a long process goes into creating them. But we Mm. are just so, the way in which it's fed to us is so instantaneous and on demand that we kind of have this almost strange mental trap that we set ourselves of kind of just getting complacent and just assuming that reality is built around kind of the media that is fed to us.
1: So media has begun to play in in many respects and in many contexts, an even larger part of our reality than reality itself, you know, in quotation marks.
0: Mm, exactly.
1: It's funny what you said about the the homeless people being plonked in front of the TV to just ingest all of that that media and then sort of rehabilitate themselves in that way because that reminded me of Old Boy. Don't worry, it's not spoiler. It's just when he's because you know the the conceit of the film is that he he emerges from an imprisonment he's kept imprisoned for for years and years, but his only interaction with humans for the, for all that time when he's in his room is a TV set and. He just ingests media as the primary and only form of human interaction that he has. So it's entirely bound up in this voyeuristic relationship, this intrinsic, inescapably voyeuristic relationship where he has no alternative but to just place himself in front of the television and interact with the world through that two-dimensional plane. Mm. And that idea of um, simulation theory is propounded in the film by... Professor Oblivion. He talks about um, the television screen becoming the retina of the mind's eye in the yeah. sense that we no longer see the world directly for what it is. We we see the world through the mediator of the television screen. And even if we look at the world now, and like you said, it's it's reconfigured and appropriated symbols and signifiers from our immediate reality. Even if we looked at those mm. environments now, they are permanently changed. By our consumption of media, and some would say overconsumption.
0: Some would say, yeah. Who, who are these people?
1: I don't. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny you should <laughs> say that because in the film, there's a TV interview that takes place, of course, between Max and uh, Nicky Brand and Professor O'Brien, uh, O'Brien? <laughs> 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 Professor oblivion
0: <laughs> How dare you!
1: <laughs> are all together um, being interviewed? Of course, O'Brien's on his little TV. You just um, called him O'Brien again. Uh, Damn it. Um, Nikki Brand initially appears as an advocate of shallow consumption of media and limiting... Um, did you hear that? The door just slammed somewhere in Yes, house. I
0: did that's hear cool. that.
1: And I think the exact quote is, um, I think we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake. We gorge ourselves on it. We always want more, whether it's tactile, emotional or sexual. And I think that's bad. But then you... Discover that she has this immense drive for pleasure and she's obsessed by the idea of chasing ever higher uh, forms of gratification. So it completely reverses uh, what she said on the chat show and and, and colours it with this real sense of hypocrisy and cynicism. Mm -hmm. Like she's just trotting out the known accepted answer. Nikki herself is running a local radio station. She takes calls from listeners in distress. She coaches them about their their problems, almost like a therapy. But then, as soon as she retreats from that public persona, she is doing all the things that she is advocating against. And uh, there's an article by Jeffrey Podoshin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, who links this to social media and its role in our lives nowadays but also describes Nikki Brand as the kind of the epitome of the modern consumer as they materialized in the 80s, never satisfied with material excesses, always wanting more. And in that way, she is almost a parallel to Uncle Frank in Hellraiser, who, um, you know, film made more or less at the same time, and a character who was similarly interested in pursuing the extremes of pleasure in a way that eventually brought about his own demise
2: what about it Nikki is it socially positive well I think we live in overstimulated times we crave stimulation for its own sake we gorge ourselves on it we always want more whether it's tactile emotional or sexual and I think that's bad then why did you wear that dress sorry that dress <laughs> it's very stimulating and it's red You know what Freud would have said about that dress. And he would have been right. I admit it. I live in a highly excited state of overstimulation.
0: Something that I think would be really interesting, now that we're on a subject of Nicky Brand, to talk about um, is the way in which kind of gender um, is portrayed in this film and the way Mm. in which, like, gender and like desire and consumption and also control or kind of interlink, because I was mm. going to say, do you not think, obviously it's one thing to talk about Nikki Brown's hypocrisy, but do you not think at the same time she does fulfill kind of what mass media kind of like asks of women in general? So in terms of her advice yeah. show, she's got like, she's the shoulder to cry on. She's like the caregiver, maternal figure. et cetera. But she also simultaneously has to be this kind of like, being which can be like a receptacle almost even for like abuse and to enjoy Mm -hmm. that and to submit to that. And I think that, you know, even though it might seem, in fact, I think this is partly the point, the fact that they seem so incongruous on the outside, Mm -hmm. I think just highlights Mm -hmm. the absurdity of the way in which media Demands these simultaneous presentations of women.
1: I completely agree. Yeah. And I think that that impetus to regard women in this sort of bifurcated way, uh, well, I guess what Freud called the Madonna Whore complex among mm. men, you know, it's been existent yeah, know, for a long time. We know long, long Freud time.
0: is relevant here because he literally quotes it in the same <laughs> <Yeah>. interview. <laughs> so no one can accuse you of over it for no reason.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently, Cronenberg was really into.
0: Was he's still alive, Nick?
1: Oh no, why am I? Why am I getting everyone? Why do I think everyone who's dead is alive and everyone who's alive is dead? <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Um, oh yeah, apparently Cronenberg himself is a massive fan of Levi Strauss and love to talk about it with his collaborators. So I feel like you can't really over intellectualize Videodrome. I feel like there's so much in there that comes from these thinkers and yeah on the subject of the madonna hall complex that's a condition that was you know identified in men um long long before mass media was ever a thing but what mass media has done especially with the advent of the television in um the 20th century and then with social media nowadays is that it allows for or it it's um, the perfect fertile foundation for that um, that splitting between two worlds. You know, the creation of two planes where um, one reality can be lived out while another parallel reality is lived out at the same time, and you move between the two as the user or consumer. Mm.
0: Well, would you argue, therefore, or do you think that the film is arguing that these media products are a response to pre-existing desire? or whether pre-existing desire generates the demand for these media products. Because obviously Max is obviously kind of a uniquely positioned protagonist because he's not just some random, you know, viewer at home. who's like, oh, Mm. the TV's influenced me. Like, no, he is part of that kind of commercial ecosystem. He runs his own Mm. channel specifically to cater to like desires, which he feels aren't being sufficiently catered for. On, like, the main by the main television stations and kind of essentially taking advantage monetarily of that gap in the market. So, responding mm. to these desires. And yet, at the same time, you could say, yeah, but he was never actually going to really be interested in anything like Videodrome until it's put in front of him against his will by someone like Harlan. It's only then mm. that he's like, oh, yeah, actually, that's good. Where do you think the line between responding to desire and generating new desires is in terms of mass media, especially in this film?
1: It's a similar question to, to the ones we were asking uh, when we looked at censor, right? Because mm. you could see the video nasties as a response to blunt market trends and the desire to make money, knowing what's going to make money, fulfilling a consumer desire, and Bob's your uncle. And I think that we're seeing a similar thing happening in Videodrome where Max is wanting... Max knows that there is a market out there that he's responding to. Mm. And if there wasn't an audience for Videodrome exactly, he would never have been sent on this wild, crazy journey. Um, I feel like it's an age-old question whether technologies simply respond to human desires or amplify them or create new desires. It's very hard to like prize a gap between the two. What do you think?
0: Um, I think you could argue obviously that there is a kind of feedback loop to it. I think especially because of the progression of Max's kind of business. Cause at the start, at the end of the day it is like soft core and then like obviously Videodrome mm. is a massive Like going from that to snuff is like a massive leap, obviously. It's like
2: ten to a hundred. I don't know.
0: You know how a lot of people argue that, say, with the example of things like pornography, that it kind of like rewires people's brains to like the more accepting of more like dangerous and unethical things, because like Mm. what they were used to isn't good enough for them anymore. So you could argue that perhaps the way in which the media kind of meets our demands and meets our desires in itself generates kind of increasingly intense demands perhaps. Mm. And I also think that um, there is definitely a visual element as well within the film to the idea of, say for example, obviously the bit at the end where Harlan can literally like put a videotape inside Max and that kind of literally controls him. I think there Mm. is definitely clearly some kind of implication there of like media control over individuals and I think this is something Mm. also that's really interesting because it's not just in terms of entertainment media that um, we have to consider these things and I think actually a lot of people who accept the idea that um, say for example the news can be used as a way of controlling populations and a way of influencing their thoughts at the same Mm. time absolutely balk at the notion of like oh my god what no like no violent media violent sexual media does not like change people's desires regarding violence and sexuality absolutely not no, it's mm. got nothing to do with that. And I'm kind of mm. like, really? Do you not think those two positions are slightly incongruous of each other? And so mm. I do think, yeah, potentially, arguably. I'm personally a bit of a proponent of like the whole feedback loop theory. I kind of see it, to be honest.
1: As in uh, it, it, it magnifies yeah. and amplifies. And
0: it- Yeah, and I think, can, again, that's another thing yeah. to do with kind of just a sheer ubiquity of media nowadays I think that's why it becomes such a concern because obviously like you say people have all like softcore pornography has existed and it's like what well it existed technically even in the forms of like renaissance paintings etc um, yeah like all but, those
1: saucy Japanese paintings <laughs> as well
0: yeah but I guess like there's kind of the recent concerns about it that again make that kind of argument. like, oh you know humans have been like this for centuries it's like yes but humans mm. haven't had this constant just that's
1: the same, yeah.
0: You know, feeding tube almost of just content and content for them, which they can always find more extreme versions of, and which eventually, because they consume it in such high doses, they're eventually going to bore of mm. So, yeah, I am actually personally a bit of a feedback loop proponent, and in a way, I think the film is too. Although, there are aspects of it where I'm like, hmm, I can't really tell exactly which side of the debate it falls on yeah so with spectacular orbitals their aim right was to basically give brain tumors and kill anyone whose kind of media consumption has become so out of control that they're watching videodrome right
1: i'm i'm pretty sure yeah because well the way i interpret it is that yeah max gets enrolled as an assassin on behalf of videodrome Mm. in order to yeah track down the people that are also watching videodrome yeah and and kill them off um, is it like a few of the people watching Videodrome every now and then get selected to become assassins?
0: I, I think really... that bit was more to do with Max himself because, you know, he's not just a viewer. He's not just a bystander. He's kind of part of that media ecosystem. Yeah, good point. But that's what I thought was interesting. Is Videodrome a bad thing or is it not a bad thing in terms of the film? Because on the one hand, part of spectacular spectacular orbitals' methods seem extreme, and you could mm. argue as well that what's interesting about them is that spectacular orbitals—they're the ones who are kind of turning the horror of videodrome back on its consumers. But at the same time, they are a capitalist corporation, and so you have to question what their motivations are. In a way that I think you would not have done if it was, say, kind of like a gorilla group that was kind of like secretly hijacking the airwaves of this show to give brain Mm. tumors to the consumers. Mm. And so I think that really makes you me question, okay, so what is the true motivation? Is it genuinely like an altruistic, oh, you know, anyone who has reached that level of depravity is clearly sick and can no longer like be trusted to live in society and to not reenact what they see on a TV screen in real life. Or Mm. is it also a kind of like capitalistic like desire Media control in terms of like oh these people have become they've kind of gone beyond our reach and our control so for that they need to die or whether the brain tumor is kind of like a metaphor for kind of like the grip that capitalism via the media can kind of seize over our brains I don't know I was Mm. thinking about all these things and I couldn't really come to a satisfactory conclusion because I did read one review which was all like, oh, well, you know, you know, Harlan. Yeah, he's the kind of guy mm-hmm. that if this was set in the 2020s, he'd be like, oh, I'm an anti-social justice warrior or something like that. <laughs> I kind of laughed. And then I was like, would he? Because I was like, do anti-social justice warriors like care about things like violent pornography? Because I'm not sure they do. I think they they no, like it's that. More about, so yeah, I it's, like, it's more, more about It's more complicated their than that. Yeah. I was like, no, it's it is more, about, more complicated like, than that. I should, should that. be
1: free to do whatever I want.
0: I think that is something that's interesting about the film to be fair because you could easily depend on you, where you stand on the whole like violent and sexual media debate you could be like oh yeah 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 like no Spectacular Orbital right you know like kill them all but I like the fact that it's like okay but this is like a corporation this is well, money yeah. there's money behind this they why? are
1: the establishment and mm. that's what makes the you know that's why it's conspiracy really isn't it because it's it's the low level broadcasting exec max going up against this hidden organisation this corporation that's carrying out this project to to kill off um people that it views as insidious consumers i suppose mm. you have to look for it don't you but then at the same time it's it's that thing about seeing to what extent are we really in control of what we see like i i, I always worry about this because you could just be on the street and someone could die horribly in front of you yeah um, and scar you for life. Not that sounds so. That sounds so self-centered. Oh
0: God, yeah. Oh, someone had the bad grace to go and die in front of me. Very considerate of them.
1: But do you know what I mean? It's that idea of like you're not in charge of, of. You think you might be in terms of where you can look, but you don't know what's going to enter your field of vision. You hmm. don't know what's going to mark you. And video I feel like, really um, speaks to that anxiety of the what you see becoming literally a part of your body it's not just the fact that you consume it but it literally assimilates itself into an organ or like Mm. an auxiliary part of your body like an appendage that's an idea that cropped up a lot in Cronenberg's work for example i watched the brood and that film is all about the idea of trauma and rage manifesting itself literally as like a baby in this woman and and she grows the baby. It's like a tumor of like hate. And then it's like released from her body when she gives birth to this angry child that then goes and like hunts down and kills the person that she's raging at. (laughs) So it's that concept of intangible metaphysical things becoming physical and the consequences that that has. Mm. Because I think we like to think of ourselves as impervious to so much of what we consume, but by making the metaphor reality in that way really hits home. Especially now where we're yeah. literally inundated with it I mean, how many tumours would we have, for example, you know Well,
0: I wouldn't, I wouldn't be watching Videodrome, next. Speak <laughs> for yourself Not that I watch
1: Videodrome I'm I don't know, YouTube tumours, you know Or Instagram tumours, TikTok tumours I feel like I'd just be covered in tumours
2: Max, I'm so glad you came to me I've been through it all myself, you see Your reality is already half video hallucination. If you're not careful, it will become total hallucination. You'll have to learn to live in a very strange new world. I had a brain tumor and I had visions. I believed the visions caused the tumor and not the reverse. I could feel the visions coalesce and become flesh, uncontrollable flesh. But when they removed the tumour, it was called Videodrome. I was the, I, I was Videodrome's first victim.
0: Well, something I think is interesting in terms of the gender aspect of the film is obviously like, and this has been talking about in a lot of the reviews, the way in which kind of like the appendage on like Max's chest is kind of like mm. a slit. And then apparently yeah. there's a story from on set where um, James Woods was like, like, this is so, like, I feel like like having it on me, it feels just like I just am this little, like, weird prosthetic slit. And apparently, Debbie Harry, like, laughed at him and was like, Well, ha ha ha, now you know how it feels. Yeah. I think that's so interesting.
1: And I feel like in a lot of media nowadays, there's this idea of putting out and then taking in, you know, ingesting and then broadcasting, and how that relates to sort of like sexual dynamics is so interesting. And the idea of like mm. not being in control of what's being put inside you. Oh, did you see that horrible report about how, um, Plastics have been found in oh, yeah, lungs in the blood. and stuff. It's so fucked. But like, you know, it kind of reminded me of that, you know, it's the idea of like, we are becoming permeable in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: all these things are just like passing through us constantly and, and, and we might not even be aware of it.
2: To open up, Max, open up to me. I've got something I want to play for you. Oh, my God.
0: And I think the way in which, I think what's so interesting as well is the way in which the film, on the one hand, like it was kind of like used as kind of like a means for him to kind of like be controlled. Mm. But also, you know, like when Harlan like tries to put another videotape in him, it also becomes like this, I don't even know how to describe it because it doesn't like pull him in. He just like can't come back out again. And then his mm. like hand turns into a grenade and it explodes <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs> and I was just like, how interesting. There must be another meaning behind all this. I just can't think what.
1: So Scott A. Wilson wrote a really interesting essay in 2016 all about um, the the concept of the new flesh. And he sort of applied Lacan's concept of, you know, the imaginary world, the, the imaginary, the symbolic, the real to Videodrome. And he came up with this idea that Max operates as a sort of mediator between the real and the ontological mm. um, and I don't really get the full extent of what he was saying because I just find it I find it confusing but interesting if that makes any sense but there's this idea that through that slit y- you access this like the kind of the unknowable and objects for example the gun that gets uh, the gun that he hides in in himself just disappears. It just enters into a different plane, but then comes back at the end. Remember the gun's disappearance, it represents a kind of breakdown of like the direct ontological reality of the film in the sense Mm. that if you think, you know, like Chekhov's gun, for example, everything in the film, everything in the, in the diegesis has to, it it needs to remain in the diegesis in order to make sense. And for us to make sense of it with our understanding of how the world works, how symbols work, etc. But the, the fact that the gun disappears then just reappears like that, it shows that Max is has become the gateway to a deeper reality, if that makes sense, that we can't really mm. fathom. And that's more or less the concept of the new flesh, if you look at it through the prism of Lacan, because the new flesh, for example, when, at the end of the film, when he kills himself, Scott A. Wilson says of that that, The film ends not because there is nothing left to say, but because what is uttered next is spoken through the unspeakable, Mm. shown through the unshowable. Max transcends our ontology, that which we share with the diegesis of the film, and moves into the ontology of insects, the ontology of the new flesh, and perhaps an ontology of the real, with a capital R. So it's the idea that maybe Max doesn't die, um, he just shifts onto like a different plane. Mm.
0: I agree that is probably the meaning of the ending. Although I do also think a fun alternate ending is more focused on kind of like the simulation idea Mm. where Max becomes so divorced from reality thanks to his desires and the way in which they are replicated and fed back to him on his TV screen. Mm. He eludes himself into believing that he can transcend even death, which I'm not going to lie. I do also think we do kind of do these days partly because of them. I don't know. I do feel like there's a kind of like eternal like presentness to a lot of the way we like consume media that does kind of, you know, it's getting quite deep. I do feel like there is kind of like a genuine link between that and like the delusion that people have that they're not going to die one day. Think about it. Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. So an
0: alternative fun ending could be that, you know, he's become (laughs) so divorced from reality and so obsessed with having his desires replicated to him on screen that, yeah, he just goes beyond rationality and beyond what Mm. he knows to be true Mm. and allows himself to believe that he can't die. Mm. I don't think that is actually what the ending was meant to be, but you know, film is, film is all about interpretations. And I think that's a valid interpretation.
1: I I think that interpretation particularly um, speaks a lot to, I guess, protagonist syndrome as well. Mm. And the idea of, of the conspiracy. And I think, The concept of conspiracy is absolutely part and parcel of protagonist syndrome because the idea of thinking that it's all about you or that you're somehow this messianic figure who needs to step up and take down a nasty corporation, you know, as Max does in the film, is is what you see cropping up in all, well, not only just all conspiracy films, but the way that conspiracy theories enact themselves in real life. In 4chan groups and stuff like that, you know, it's all about stepping up and becoming the solution and, you know, taking up the mantle. And it's got everything to do with relocating the center of reality, the center of truth and meaning within yourself, you know, Mm. and seeing everything you do and everything the world does as connected to you, so you know, and that's how people who buy into conspiracy theories get comfort from them. Because rather than having to face the horrifying reality that the universe is random and that we're subject to, to kind of uh, a flux of, of instants, you can couch yourself in the, the comfort of knowing that it's all about you. <laughs> and yeah. um, you're not just adrift on this kind of torrent of meaninglessness. You know, you are at the centre and you are the main character. You are the protagonist.
0: Yeah, I suppose obviously so much of the film is about this one guy who's... The thing with Max is as well, because so much of his ethos is about gratification and like what matters to him. So it doesn't matter to him about like the people actually getting hurt in Videodrome or like the impact that any of his material has on others. Cause it's all about, Oh, well, you know, filling this market, like gap in the market, more money for me. And like, as well with like Nikki, you know, at first he's kind of like, when she's like, Oh, you know, like pierce my ears, etc., And caught me. He's a bit like, what? But then like at the end of the day, he's still prepared to do it. Cause it's yeah. more important to him that he gets the gratification of being able to say that he's slept with this woman and then obviously the fact that he does it at all. And again, maybe you could argue this is the feedback loop thing because the desire doesn't really exist at first as much as he likes to pretend that he is like more like mature and hardcore than um, she thinks he is. And that desire doesn't actually really exist at first, but then he actually enjoys it when he does it. And it all came from that desire to be like, oh, well, okay. you know, I can't be seen. It's all about me and making sure that I'm seen in the right way and that I get what I want even if I have to go about, uh, a bit of a roundabout way. He doesn't even really care that much. About the consequences which he know exists of his actions. Like, you know, she's literally bleeding. I don't know, this might be a bit of a controversial opinion. And I understand that like people have different desires when it comes to things like sexuality and power and all that. And I don't think it's wrong to explore them. But I do think there is a certain line. I think it gets to the point where people are actually being caused like lasting physical like injury and scarring. I, I personally don't think it's ethical when you get to the point of actual like lasting injury and drawing blood. Personally for me, I'm not sure if that says something deeper about the people involved, but I don't know, that's just my opinion. But the point I'm making is that he at least is prepared to kind of do these things because it's all about him.
1: It's, it's a really complicated one because I guess that, well, the usual rule of thumb, right, is, oh, if it's two consenting adults, you can do whatever you want. Haha. But there are so many factors that contribute to what your desires are, what your sexual appetite's like. You know, it's different for everyone, isn't it? But I
0: don't think all of these factors can necessarily be seen as like entirely neutral. Like obviously so no, much true. of the film example, as well like is about have, yeah the way in which women are presented in media. Yeah. How much of Precisely. people's desires is innate and how much of it is like fed by that
1: well any habits you know can just be internalized from media and that's how oh god we're really over intellectualizing this episode i love it Um, (laughs) well you know like you know like interpolation like althusa Mm. pointing to someone and going hey woman and then they turn around they go yeah like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's that call and response idea is that you know to respond to the idea of woman because you've internalized the idea of what a woman is and you go, I am that, you know? So mm. I guess with with things like um, sexuality with desire and gender and, and the way that those things intersect with mass media is that y- you can, you're never really sure how much of you how much of your choices, how much of your desires are really coming from some magical fountain of you in the middle of you? And how much of it has actually just been internalized from the messages that we've been fed our, our entire lives within the yeah, ideological exactly. apparatus, you know?
0: arguably it's just kind of like complacency from people like Max I say from people, mainly like men like Max that allows just kind of um, internalization of desire and the feedback loop that we were talking about earlier to get all the more extreme. I mean, arguably you could say if you had the whole consent consenting adults thing, you could say, well, you know, cause Nikki is so into all of her like serial masochism that she's actually like, yeah, I want to go and audition for Videodrome where people mm. get seemingly killed and tortured on camera. And obviously yeah. I don't think it would be right to be like, oh, but you know, and like, yeah, you know, if Nikki wanted it, then yeah, it's chill. Mm. I don't mm. even think the film has that as its message either.
1: No, no. I think it's weird though. It's it, There's an interesting uh, extra level to that whole thing though, because mm. Nikki, Nikki is like, yes, I'm going to audition for it because I think it's a program, you know, yeah, it's not real. But then if it's, if it's not real, real are they still are they still experiencing those emotions yeah well this is 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 a
0: question actually as well I think as well you could argue that like some parts of you like, oh if it's like two consenting adults desires then like maybe one of the consenting adults is under the impression of like oh well you know this is all none of this is real it's all just like a performance and it's like a Mm. safe word and it can end at any time Mm. whereas obviously as we see there are also people who have desires where there is no regard for the boundaries. It might start off with everyone being enthusiastic, but it doesn't actually necessarily end that way. Yeah. You could also argue sort of her impression of like, oh, well, this is just a programme, right? Um, might be like this kind of assumption on her part. Also, again, perhaps tied into her gender of like, oh, but like all of this kind of like violence and sex in the media, like it's just like an exploration of fantasy, right? It's not anything that people are actually gonna let influence their real life decisions but mm. obviously it is and in that case it gets her killed
1: well because we've spoken about um violence you know the impact of horror films yeah as a kind of pornography i suppose but i guess we haven't spoken really about actual you know like pornography pornography mm. um with the whole fascination on nikki's part for videodrome there's an interesting dichotomy at play because I guess with porn- pornography, it's not like a normal production or a normal drama no. where you are acting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not um, it's not like, it's not a full-on simulation of emotion, character, all this kind of stuff. It's much more m- malleable and permeable between, mm. you know. And I think,
0: again, this brings us back to the question that we were talking about at the start of like the simulation because it's like how much of what you're watching, because obviously what we, I was talking about, say for example, so much of mass media is like carefully constructed simulation that we kind of like confuse with reality. And then mm. you could argue that with pornography, we kind of go the opposite way sometimes and people are kind of like con- confuse the fact that what they are seeing in front of them is reality with the kind of like, they kind of mentally dissociate it in their mind at the same time, especially in the more extreme cases. Because another thing as well with pornography is, at the end of the day, with the actual production process behind it, you don't necessarily know that what you're watching was produced ethically. Like how obviously mm. Max and Nikki don't literally don't know the Videodrome at the start is real snuff,
1: mm. and they just well, kind absolutely. of assume
0: they just kind of assume. Oh, but you know, this is all part of this is all a simulation, like the rest of the media. Yeah, and in that case, when it really gratifies their desires all of a sudden they're happy to like turn the simulation back on itself and be like, oh yeah, yeah. I fully accepted it as a simulation. Like it's not real. I don't actually have to think about the ethical implications.
1: Did you watch the, the Louis Theroux documentary recently about consent in porn?
0: No, I didn't.
1: Well, it, it was all about how post me too, um, you know, the pornography industry is trying to integrate measures that enable consent and allow it to be much more enactable and and achievable than it than it has been in the past because it can be notoriously exploitative. But even in his like efforts to sort of unpackage the ways in which the industry was allegedly moving forward in responding to Me Too, it only really opened up more complexity and ambiguity regarding what stood, at, what stood for actual consent, and, and just how complex power is in those situations. Mm. Because power operates in so many sneaky ways, and we can convince ourselves even that we're agreeing to something um, that we perhaps deep down or on reflection didn't want to do. The mind's ability to deceive itself into thinking that it's giving its own consent is kind of crazy. And I think that also relates to Videodrome.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, and what we were saying about internalizing patterns of desire that we perhaps perceive as innate to us, and we think of as when exercising them, we think of it as exercising a kind of personal freedom or liberty, but we're actually just parroting out what a larger structure of power wants us to parrot back. <laughs>
0: getting back to what we were saying at the start about like, oh, what are um, Spectacular Orbital's motivations for um, kind of sending out these brain tumours considering they are a capitalist company is kind of like perhaps the hypocrisy that we might have in the way in which kind of like we blame consumers for being influenced by the things they consume. Whereas like, say Spectacular Orbital, it's like, okay, but you produce it you're the ones who are literally killing these people.
1: They they, they literally invented it for the purpose yeah. of trapping people. Honestly. Um, which is super evil.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And yeah, like, how could you consider that?
0: Like a genuine, ethical? any genuine, like, truly ethical, like altruistic response would be to kind of like cut this off altogether at the source mm. rather than mm. to punish consumers for doing exactly what they were told. Until it gets you to a point think, where, oh, actually, I'm not comfortable with it anymore.
1: Do you think that that has any similarity to police that go undercover as children to trap paedophiles? Hmm. You know, where they um, create like a deep fake of a child? Yeah. And they pretend to be the child so they can catch the criminal?
0: It is. And I don't agree with entrapment. On the other hand, I'm kind of like, hmm, But Like for any other crime, I don't agree with entrapment. And I'm not 100% sure if I agree with it in this case. I guess it's an interesting one because paedophilia is obviously such an emotive crime Mm. that like really goes against all the values that people kind of like hold Mm. sacred. Mm. It's interesting because it's like, yes, I guess no actual harm to a child came of it. And like, yes, they only started talking to this child, inverted commas, because of this kind of police operation but at the same time it's kind of like what i just said about like the feedback loop i'm kind of like how quickly does i don't know like if a child started messaging if what if what you thought was a child started messaging you you wouldn't be like oh well the child's messaging me so i'll go along with it like you'd think there would be a part of you that was like no this is wrong
2: mm. i don't want
0: to do this like you would think that you wouldn't be so Weak-minded, in a sense. I guess maybe I'm starting to sound like Spectacular Orbit and being like, "Oh well, yes, you know, all these weak-minded, stupid consumers need to get brain tumors (laughs) No, but to be fair, at the same time, we're we're talking about paedophilia here, so it is a little bit more. I don't really feel too bad about. (laughs) No, I I think you're fine. But then, yeah, at the same (laughs) time, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I'm sorry, but I know I've just. Proposed a feedback loop theory, but I don't think the feedback loop works that fast. I don't think that anyone is getting messaged by a child, whether real or not, and like going along with it in a sexual context. Who is not already harboring these feelings? You yeah, know?
1: exactly. Yeah. So I don't
0: know. Then at the same time, again, yeah, maybe I maybe you could turn that back around on what I've just said and be like, oh, so we we should blame the consumer.
1: It, it's funny. I think it definitely. Uh, it's all about looking for confirmation of something that you want to believe, I suppose. Mm. I think that's what Spectacular Orbitals is doing, is that they're looking for confirmation of what they've decided I about like humanity. I the
0: word looking, because, you know, <laughs> Spectacular Orbitals, oh, you know, that was also a subconscious well on known glasses vendors. I liked that part as well, the fact that they're also like an optician.
1: I think it's hilarious. Did you love their the little Renaissance skit at the end?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry for I was like, what? Which fit do you mean? And I was like,
1: oh, wait, yeah. When, yeah, when, um, <laughs> yeah, when uh, uh, what, he has, what, what's his name again? Amazing name, Convex. When yeah, Harry Convex, Convex gets, gets um, shot and then sort of like grows out of his own body. It's grim. Yeah. But yeah, I think Spectacular Orbital set out with this idea of like, we believe that there are people out there who are filthy, Snuff consumers, and we're going to wipe them out. You know, and it's that it's that idea of going out with the pre-configured understanding that the world is a certain way. There was this incel documentary, actually.
2: Uh, <laughs> I look how you, you bring up back. the most like
0: random stuff. No, to be fair, actually, this isn't completely relevant. I don't know why I just call it random. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I love how intertextual your episodes are. <laughs> like, yeah. So there was this incel documentary in our horror film
1: podcast with all this cultural criticism it's turning into more of like a don't know what this is some kind of marxist discussion group i don't know um (laughs) it just it it reminded me of it what you were saying about um Mm. when we're talking about pedophiles because
0: uh oh my god how has this episode become this when you put it like that (laughs) oh yeah so you reminded me of insults when we're talking about pedophiles
1: (laughs) you know what this is what people need they need like i think videodrome you know it's 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 an older film it's a classic people have talked a lot about videodrome i feel like it needs new stuff being attached to it that... oh a new appendage oh Ooh. i'm trying so
0: hard right now um, carry on intel documentary uh,
1: yes yeah, so um there are these members of these you know on online um manosphere groups who uh deliberately catfish women who they consider or who they've decided to be shallow through posing as like, you know, quote unquote, Chad, having fake pictures of like a muscly man. And then they meet the person in real life with a camera and, and they go like, ah, you shallow, yeah, you you thought I was this muscly guy and you hate me now, don't you? Because you're, I'm ugly and I don't have a jaw and um, you're you're shallow as and I'm going to expose you to everyone online. I'm going to put this online and say how shallow you are. And then they put it online and all their friends are like, yes, what you a bitch. showed them. Exactly. And then they all feel reassured. Um, they all think like, yeah, that shows the world, doesn't it? But it's like they... Those people who catfish those women, they do that with the pre-decided knowledge that all women are shallow, you know, and they're out to just push yeah. it to the point where they can somehow like create ontological reasoning for that and then broadcast it back to themselves. And then they can just go on with their own opinions as normal, you know? So I think that's <laughs> I can't even remember what we were talking about, but that fits in with the thing
0: (laughs) well i i guess we'll leave it there then thank you so much for listening once again sadly this was the last episode of our meta horror series although obviously that doesn't mean that we won't ever be treating the topic again in the future especially if any new releases um with kind of metafictional themes come out please let us know if you can think of any that we've missed that you'd like us to watch in the meantime, while we prepare our next series, we're planning on basically doing a few one off episodes. Our next film is going to be Titan by Julia Ducour- now. Maybe I pronounced that wrong. I'm so sorry to all the French listeners out there. I think Titan will be a really interesting one to follow on from Video Drone with because, you know, I think it actually has a lot of similarities with Cronenberg. So please stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Don't forget to stay safe and also to... Can people like and subscribe on podcast platforms? You can subscribe. Can you like?
1: You can subscribe. You can't like, but you can rate. Oh,
0: what? Don't forget to rate and subscribe. But like us within your heart. Bye-bye.